The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that may result from listening to this podcast. This is the Scream Kings podcast. This is Max George. And I'm Nathaniel Darkish. And today, this podcast will provide you your dinner. Oh, man. (laughs) I'm so excited for this episode. Let's just say we have a Thanksgiving treat for you all. And by treat, I mean movie that is entertaining but not good. You know, Nathaniel, I'm not sure if we've ever roasted a movie like we will be today on the podcast before. It might be a first for us. Well, I think it'll be fun and and appropriate because what better than a holiday in which you roast turkey and potatoes and all of that than to roast a movie alongside it. (laughs) I know we've had some movies that haven't done as well and we've been pretty critical about them, but there is few and far between to say about this movie as far as good things. Okay, and I guess to, to clarify so people know what on earth we're talking about, we are talking about the newest, as of today, entry in uh, Hulu's Into the Dark series, their uh, new film, Pilgrim, which is a Thanksgiving-themed horror film. I believe their second Thanksgiving-themed horror film in, in this series. And Nathaniel, before we get too involved, do you maybe want to talk a little bit about Into the Dark I just kind of found out about it through this movie, and I'm pretty excited. Um, But do you want to give us some more background about what this is? Yeah, so Into the Dark is basically an anthology series, you know, where each one is is a a film. I guess some people say, hey, it's TV episodes. Some people say they're, you know, standalone, or, you know, films. But basically, uh, there's 12 uh, episodes, so kind of one for each month of the year and then uh so this is their second year of doing this now and you know each one kind of is is themed around a holiday or a time of the year and and they are basically produced by bloomhouse and hulu uh kind of working in uh, in conjunction with each other and so it's kind of a low budget approach to making uh horror films that are are, you know kind of themed around the, the time of the year and i think it's I think the idea is a really solid one. I, I don't know if it maybe is as solid in execution as it is in concept, but I think it is a lot of fun, and I definitely want to check out more of the films that they've made because I, I personally think that it's it's fun that more horror is kind of being produced, you know, by Hulu and and by these you know different kind of streaming services because you know a lot of times we don't see horror coming from the you know kind of tv community other than just a handful of series and so i love that this is happening even if it's not necessarily the best yeah i would agree i've seen inadvertently a few of the other i don't want to call them episodes let's just call them movies um there was one last year they did for christmas which was called puka 
Um, it had this kind of crazy Furby-like character on a rampage, and that one was it was okay. It wasn't amazing, but again, like the, I think it's a really important thing that these streaming companies are kind of diving into the horror genre. Um, I know Netflix has kind of done a lot with Haunting on Hill House and the Sabrina series, and Hulu's kind of stepping into the water as well. It's the age of streaming, and there's some really good stuff out there. I mean, if anyone has listened to our Haunting of Hill House episode, we raved about that, and that was Netflix produced. So hopefully we get a little bit more better quality content than The Pilgrim. <laughs> um, but I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what these streaming services can do. Absolutely. I, I think that, especially, you know, with, with services like Shudder being, you know, specifically targeted to the horror community and then also just, you know, other services kind of recognizing, hey, like horror is a, a viable market that, that can bring people in. I, I think we will ultimately see a lot of good come from it. And, and if nothing else, you know, we've seen the, these services be an opportunity for you know, horror movies that were having trouble finding distribution or things like that to uh, come out in, in a, you know, much quicker fashion than, you know, necessarily a lot of films getting made and then just floating around festivals for 10 years before they actually get picked up by anybody. So, so I like that this is an option that we have. And so I think, yeah, streaming can really do a lot for horror, especially, yeah, independent horror like this. And actually, my Stay Spooky segment that I have for this episode comes from Shudder itself, and it's a Shudder-produced film. So a lot of times we can get really good content from these streaming services. Absolutely. But we will get to that uh, <laughs> later on in the episode. But first, I guess, let's just talk about what this... Uh, film pilgrim is about what what the plot is can i can i please do it yes please <laughs> okay this is for those of you who are familiar with our podcast you know that i don't love b movies and this was like a c movie like one step further and it would have been b so i ha i have a lot to say and i probably have a lot of giggles to do <laughs> as far as a plot goes though it's actually kind of an intriguing plot i was um, when I heard yeah, about I like it. the concept a lot. I do too. Um, so there's this little family, Cody and her little brother Tate, standard American kids, their moms, or their mother, excuse me, Anna and her husband Shane, want to kind of mix things up this year. Anna is kind of one of those stereotypical, for lack of a better term, Karens. <laughs> um, she seems very... Uh, controlling, very gets what she wants, also is very much consumed by the idea of what other people think of her. And so she has this idea to hold this big Thanksgiving party, but she's hired these like method actors slash cosplayers is kind of what it is, um, who are supposed to essentially reenact the first Thanksgiving. And Cody, the main character, who's played by Rain Edwards, who I thought did a pretty fantastic job, given what she had. Yeah. She's very hesitant about everything from the start. I think she's the smartest character. Mm -hmm. But as the show goes on, these crazy pilgrims, you start to find out that 
it's not what it seems and they belong to this weird pilgrim cult and their mission is to make people be grateful for the things they have and if they're not then they take things into their own hands and needless to say things get a little murdery and a little cannibalistic <laughs> and it's just a wild ride and it's insane and i love it and hate it at the same time yeah, so I guess, should we kind of jump into what we liked about it, and then we can kind of talk about why it, yeah, why, why, why is the, uh, this uh, love-hate relationship with this with this film? Because, like, it was one of those things where, yeah, I watched it, I told you to watch it, I, I like, was eagerly waiting to hear what you had to say about it, because it, I had a lot of fun with it, even if it's not a great movie. So... Like we mentioned, I think the concept and the idea of this plot is very fun. You do not see a ton of Thanksgiving movies, let alone Thanksgiving horror movies, and we'll talk about that later on in the podcast. But this idea of like being obsessed with what other people think of us and being controlled by technology is a very relevant topic mm -hmm. um, nowadays. And there were a few lines in the movie where Ethan, who's like the main pilgrim cult leader, would mention that you're so focused on your electronic window that you don't see the rest of the world. Um, and I thought that was actually quite a poignant idea. You know, we, especially this time of the year where we're all supposed to kind of refocus our lives be grateful, be thankful, be giving, we are still just all consumed by technology. And so that kind of subtle underplot that they were trying to go for, that's where the meat of this movie was for me. I thought it was a great idea. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the idea of taking the idea of Thanksgiving, you know, like kind of the core concept there and saying, hey, people are ignoring this. People go Black Friday shopping on Thanksgiving. And, you know, like we, we are immediately just so obsessed with our technology and our, you know, physical items and things like that. And, you know, are, are so obsessed with what stuff we're going to get. Uh, yeah, like that's that's perfect for a Thanksgiving horror film. And, and I feel like any, you know, most other things that are Thanksgiving and horror, which, again, is, is not in uh, available in spades by any means. But, you know, they, they don't really touch on on kind of the, that key concept and so i love this idea and like for the most part kind of how it's executed you know this idea of having okay a cult that really wants to reject earthly things and you know invite others to do the same but not by you know inviting them nicely but rather just you know kind of forcing people to recognize what they have and be grateful for what they have is is cool like it's it's a lot of fun you know think of it as just as like really aggressive amish people or something you know <laughs> oh, i love that <laughs> and, and and you know like that kind of concept yeah it, it's it's really cool the only problem is that it just kind of goes off the walls and doesn't ever quite like tie all the plot threads together in, in, in ways that are satisfying. And and we'll get there. Let's focus on the good, I yeah, think, for now. Yeah. Um, or it's going to turn into Pandora's box. <laughs> uh, um, so yeah, overall, I think the 
the idea of being grateful and being punished for not is really the only way to do a Thanksgiving movie, unless you just talk about the actual authentic what happened <laughs> in the past and the massacre of the Native Americans. Yeah. Which would be a fantastic horror movie because it actually happened. You made a note in our show notes about you loved that it was a little bit more low budgeted, but it still committed. Um, it was still committed to be a good horror movie. Do you want to kind of give more insight on that? What you were meaning? Yeah, I mean, again, like end of the day, I feel like there are places where this this kind of falls apart, and and we'll get into that in more detail. But I felt like the people who were making this movie were really trying to make a fun, creepy horror movie like it didn't feel like people who were bad at acting who were just you know bumbling their way through a a a movie it was people who were you know decent at acting who were kind of giving it their all and and having a lot of fun and you know really trying to make a a fun horror movie for people to enjoy and so like you know a, a lot of times you can feel with with certain projects that like the people making it don't really care about the thing I didn't get that vibe at all. Like, it seemed like it was people who really like tried to get into their characters and tried to give us a, a fun, worthwhile movie. And so I, I appreciate that when you know a, a, a horror movie with, that has such a simple concept can really be, you know, that they can go all in as actors at, and and you know filmmakers, even though you know they they might have had limitations on their budget, which I mean they definitely did. It definitely felt like everyone was taking this movie seriously. It reminded me, in some regards, of the original Evil Dead, where Sam Raimi knew he didn't have a great budget, but all of the characters were committed to trying their hardest to make a very authentic, scary movie. Um, And I think you can contrast that with a movie like Sharknado, Mm. which everyone knew that it was this like ludicrous idea, and it was portrayed as a horror movie, but I think the actors kind of knew that this wasn't really a serious thing um, yeah you know and I, yeah. I think you make a good point there that this production it was taken seriously and the actors i think did as best as they could i wince while i say that because i don't know if i fully agree with myself but well, we'll um, get into that more yeah and I, I i do think they took it seriously and i think that's what separated it from like a b-movie and stop me from turning it off, honestly. See, this is my counterpoint to your whole B-movie thing, is that this <laughs> is definitely a B-movie. Like, it had a tiny budget, and that's what makes a B-movie a B-movie. But but it didn't make it a bad movie, necessarily, just in and of itself. You know, a lot of times, yeah, it's, it's people who don't have any idea what they're doing making a bad movie. Well, this, eh, like, there's problems with it. And, it. and it causes a lot of issues, or, yeah, and there's a lot of issues, but... Like, they tried to make a decent movie. But, yeah, I think you pointing out, like, Sharknado is, is the perfect example where it's... It, that was a movie made to be ridiculous. Made to make money based on the fact that people like bad movies. While this was a movie where they tried to make as good of a movie as they could. And did it end up being fantastic? No. And it, and is it f- fun to watch in spite of all of its flaws? Yes. I don't know. It, it, it's just that, yeah, like, the, the intent behind it, I, I felt, was much more sincere and earnest, even though, yeah, not perfect. And I think that sincerity is going to kind of give life to this movie that maybe next year I'll find myself watching it again. Not because 
it's a good horror movie, but because it kind of is a fun way to celebrate Thanksgiving for us horror weirdos, you know? Like, yep. It has that rewatchability that something like Sharknado wouldn't have for any other purpose than other to just laugh and giggle. Yeah. Like the the line that we opened up the show with, you know, today your father will provide for you your dinner. That that came at a a pretty hysterical point in the film. It was the climax of the horror. Um, Cody and Anna, the two female characters of the show, find out that their father has been murdered and his head is being served as Thanksgiving dinner. Like that's ridiculous. And his ribcage. <laughs> Um, and the crazy pilgrim cult is just ravenous and eating him to death. Well, and, I mean, and, and force feeding bits of him to them. And they're just like screaming and it's so cheesy, but at the same time, they just were in it to win it. And that made it fun to watch. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. And, and I would say like, in spite of all the flaws and stuff, like there are some really fun lines that like, <laughs> It's just it's, that's the thing about this movie. That's the ultimate good is that, in spite of everything else, it's just a fun movie. Like, like I didn't hate any moment of watching it. I was just like, man, this is like, yeah, there's things I roll my eyes at and all that, but like, I had a lot of fun watching it. So yeah. I'm not mad about it. That's fair. So one thing I saw in the notes is that you thought that uh, the character Patience was the scariest character. I think so. I thought she was not the best actress. I thought Cody was. Uh, Rain Edwards, I thought she did a really good job. And I've seen Patience somewhere else, and I can't figure it out. And I looked at all of her IMDb, cannot figure it out, and it's driving me nuts. But I think her acting and the way she kind of portrayed herself as this kind of subservient second hand to the cult leader Ethan, I don't know. I I thought she was the scariest part of the entire thing. I also found the the main, you know, kind of cult leader Ethan to be pretty scary too, just because like he was very committed to the just really being all in on the creep factor and and i don't know like you could tell that that actor was in that role and he was having a blast with it true and he like yeah he was a pretty like creepy villain too so yeah like it was never like a terrifying movie by any means but it was it had some fun like creepy moments and and like creepy lines that you're like ooh, that was that was pretty fun like i like that um, I think, though, by far, the scariest part of the entire show was the opening, like, credits. They had taken these old-timey Thanksgiving family photos and really grimed them up and kind of inverted the coloration on it and made them look very creepy. And then they played this, like, 50s Thanksgiving song. Mm-hmm. I, and when that started, I was like, oh, this is going to be great. This is actually going to scare me a little bit because this these rolling credits right now are awesome. Yeah. the <laughs> It was so misleading. That's fair. But yeah, I, I did really like that opening uh, sequence. That was fun. And that's about it for good things for this movie, unless you can think of something else. Not really. I mean, again, it just it, it, the the good is that it's a fun movie, even if it's not good. <laughs> and I think it's one of those movies that if you're having like a friends giving, um, or even an early Christmas party or late Thanksgiving kind of a dinner where you need something that is kind of turn your brain off and just laugh, it's excellent for that. Oh, perfect. 
Um, it would be so fun to have some drinks. You know, you could even play a drinking game that every time they say the word grateful, you take a drink and you're going to be buzzed, if not wasted, by the end of the show. Yeah, get, get real sloshed. <laughs> um, okay, let's, let's dive. Let's dive deep into the bad. Okay. <laughs> oh, because I have a lot to say. Okay, so we mentioned that some actors were pretty decent, uh, but not everyone was by any means. And I feel like the movie, as things got more and more off the rails, the acting kind of got less and less good because they were just hoping that you would just, I don't know, not notice as much. <laughs> yeah, it just it was inconsistent throughout. I would say even the, the best actors didn't always really bring it like they could have uh, with the exception i think of ethan who just brought it every every line just because he was having so much fun being a crazy cult leader and i think this ebbed and flowed like at the beginning of the movie i thought everyone was really on and then it slowly just kind of started to deteriorate and then it got back on and then it slowly started to deteriorate a little bit Um, It wasn't consistent for anybody. I thought Ethan, too, was kind of unhinged at a few parts and not in a good, like, in-character moment. I thought he was a little erratic. I could see that. I would say the biggest problem is that the characters just kind of didn't matter so much. They were just, this could have happened to anybody. Yeah, They, they didn't make me care at all. So there was a little subplot with... Cody's boyfriend and his mom who apparently was either going through a divorce or a bankruptcy or some sort of crazy life event where Anna, Cody's mom, thought it would be prudent to kind of enlist the help of patients, this other pilgrim cult leader, as like their live-in help. Um, and that's one of my biggest points is there were like all of these weird illogical decisions being made for people. Um, and that was really kind of hard to swallow for me. Yeah, it was it was hard to kind of parse like what relationships were between these people. Like, yeah, like why are they paying for this, you know, reenactment Thanksgiving dinner for her boyfriend's mom? Yeah, were they family friends? I, like, I I just couldn't figure out like what the relationship was there exactly. And yeah, each character it was just like okay, yeah, the dad is just distant and is always on his his phone or tablet constantly you know making money and everyone kind of seemed like a caricature of some sort of like big stereotype if that makes sense yeah it was just yeah yeah cody was just supposed to be any given kind of you know woke teenage girl and wow. can i document nathaniel using the term woke man your students have gotten to you <laughs> You know what I mean. I know. I just have never heard you speak like that, and I love it. So continue on. Okay. Uh, and then, yeah, like, the, the younger brother was just a stereotypical, like, oh, just a fun little kid. and Well, and he felt like a dangling carrot. Like, there were times where you'd see Ethan and Patience interacting with him in almost, like, a cringy pedophilia kind of a vibe. But again, there was no depth. There was no kind of humanity to him at all and so it was kind of like uh okay this is weird and gross but let's move on to the next scene you know i, yeah. I didn't care about his well-being yeah it's just that like the the cult main two characters you know ethan and patience were 
more interesting people, like more developed people than any of the people we're supposed to be cheering for. And like, it, it just, it, that doesn't work because if you want to, you know, really cheer for these people and, and, you know, be worried about them and things like that, they just, they, they need to be more developed someone that we can relate to or you know empathize with in some way and they just yeah like you, you didn't really care when they died or didn't die or won or didn't win or whatever like it was just like yeah whatever it's just you're just watching it unfold and i think that is a big part of why i hated the kind of final dad on the dinner platter scene is i didn't care and i i mean i could see that plot twist coming a mile ahead Mm-hmm. And it was just like, okay, yeah, dad's for dinner. Ho, ho, ho. Um, it just, it was cringy to be cringy, not cringy because it was, like, actually scary. Yeah. Um, it just, it felt forced and contrived and didn't make me care. Yeah. yeah. Another thing that I didn't love, and I can see from the notes that you didn't like it either, was that so the the good guys win with the exception of you know the dad who obviously gets killed and eaten but yeah so anna cody and the brother whose name is not in my head and doesn't really matter anyway because he was just such a token character they they survive they kill the cult and how they do it is that early in the movie uh finn takes the the boy to go gather berries and one berry that he gathers is like, oh, no, no, you can't eat that one. That one's very poisonous. And he's like, oh, oh, no, I'm sorry. And, and then, of course, that comes up later when they're having this feast and they're eating all these berries and stuff as part of what they're eating in, in addition to dad. And so Cody stealthily grabs some of the berries that they have as decorations of the poisonous ones and crams them in the, the berry sauce. And then... The cult all eats the berries and start puking blood and then dying, which was fun in terms of the gore factor, but not. What the, in... like, what the actual hell? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it. It, it was just like a, a weak way to like, hey, let's connect these things, and we can't think of a way that they would actually win doing anything else. It's just they have to have them win by slipping some berries in all stealthy like i have to compose myself because it, it was one of those plot twists that i had like i did not see coming but when it finally hit i wasn't shocked or like wowed by this plot twist i just laughed for like three minutes because i was like this is the dumbest thing in the world and the weirdest way it could have gone the berries the poisonous berries oh as soon as it introduced the poisonous berries early on i i literally i was watching it by myself and i said out loud oh that's not gonna be plot relevant at all i mean what the hell um and the science behind the berries made no sense if you eat poisonous berries you're not gonna violently vomit on the ground like that oh it just oh it just killed me you should have been here because i was just laughing my butt off at the berries and i was so glad to see that you thought the same in the notes oh man yeah the berries (laughs) are so stupid so Let's talk about the most interesting thing and I kind of like what it sets up as, as being this interesting thing that they kind of just like never bother explaining or giving us. 
Um, specifically, like, this cult. Okay, so we have this cult formed by this guy named Ethan, who, yeah, apparently he, like, lived in an abusive household when he was a kid or something. And... But we never know. We never figure it out. Exactly. And and then he... Because they ate the berries. <laughs> you know, so, so basically, yeah, we know that he grew up in an abusive household. He got out of it, dot, 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 somehow formed this group of actors... And now they're this cult that are forcing people to be thankful. And, like, I don't mind that idea if we have more of those steps in between. Because that's interesting. Like, seeing why someone created this cult and and how they justify their actions and, and view themselves as good, that's interesting to me. And I think it lends to what we were talking earlier, that there isn't a ton of horror Thanksgiving movies. And so if you have this, like child who was traumatically you know abused during this holiday where now he takes it and kind of creates this religion almost of you know for lack of a better term amish actors who are okay with cannibalism and okay with murder like give us more of that give him a monologue where he describes what happened or give patience a flashback where she joined the cult or or something that pulls us in a little bit more yeah because i feel like you know someone when they were writing this script they had all of that fleshed out but then they just didn't put it in the final product and and the problem is that that is the most interesting part and also like it ended up being a missed opportunity in a lot of ways because we have Cody who her birth mother, you know, her, her mother who is not Anna, Anna is her uh, stepmom. She left on Thanksgiving, which could be interesting because that can create some interesting parallelism between her and these members of this cult or something like that. But it ended up not paying off in any significant way. Well, and there were a lot of um, really kind of insightful quips that Cody had against Ethan and the cult regarding, like, the actual events that happened on real Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, white supremacy kind of taking over American Indian culture. And even that dynamic would have been fun to see. Cody was an African-American. Ethan was a white male. You know, some of those maybe political undertones played out a little bit more would have been amazing and really would have elevated this movie to the next level maybe if she was native american it would have been even more interesting and it would have had more to say yeah i really think that this is the biggest downfall of the movie is that the cult was the most interesting thing of the entire show and it felt rushed it felt forced it felt contrived like um i have a few notes about at first we get ethan and we get patience And then all of a sudden the dad is okay with them bringing all of their friends over. So there's now like... 30 of them? Yeah, 30 just of these pilgrim cult members in the house just hanging out. Like, who are these people? Also early on when it's just Ethan and Patience, overnight a shed materializes out of nowhere. Like a shed outside in the backyard. And they also just happen to have this crazy modern slash medieval waterboarding seesaw device that they can use like it it made no sense yeah it's is that they like kept like 
being like like being a pilgrim was like a superpower somehow where you could yeah. just build anything in any amount of time very just very easily very quickly they you know just would build whatever they need they suddenly had stocks out to put the parents in and things like that and you're like this is a lot and also because yeah like like it would be one thing if they were showing up in you know trucks or something or you know old-timey carts with horses or something but they just suddenly are there just the people and their stuff and you're like how did they haul this stuff here and i think it again goes back to what we talked about earlier on where there's this really cool original idea to have a horror thanksgiving show and kind of this subplot about being grateful for what you have and without any context for this cult that moral falls apart before your eyes. You don't care anymore about being grateful. This cult is evil t because they're evil and there's no human pathos to them at all. And I, it was a bummer. It was a real big bummer. It made them comical in a sense. Yeah, well, just because what you wanted is you wanted to see them making them thankful and then like trying to brainwash them into the cult. Like that's what would have made sense. But then it just kind of just turned into them, you know, torturing them and, and not really actually working to that end. It seems like what should be happening is that, yeah, they should be expanding. They should be trying to do this stuff to recruit new members. And, yeah, like, sure, they, they'll kill some people because the those people aren't compatible with, with being in the cult. And it seemed like it was setting that up to an extent, you know, where it's like, okay, dad's out, obviously, because he just never gets off his tablet. But... Maybe we can get the others in, especially like with younger brother character. Like it seemed like they were like, oh yeah, like we're gonna get him no problem. Never seemed like they were actually like working to that end. And also another thing that was interesting about the cult is that you know it kept bringing up this almost like mystery element of like how did they get hired? Because Anna hired them and she said, oh yeah, I just found a thing online or something. And so they were, tr and so there was a, a a period where Cody and her boyfriend are trying to figure out where online did she hire them? Like they, they can't find anything about it. And to me, that was almost saying, okay, maybe Anna's in this cult. Maybe this is something sinister there, or or just you know, it could be interesting of like why is it that this people or that these people who are pilgrims that are rejecting technology are using that technology to get people? Like yeah, that could I, be interesting. That creates a duality and, and creates a kind of a mystery of like, how are they doing this thing? What are their methods exactly? You know, how do they function? How do they recruit? That kind of thing. And again, it just it 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 started off on that. It, it basically was like, hey, look at this interesting mystery. Oh, now we're just killing people and running around with axes. And it's like it, it just didn't ever pay off in a meaningful way, which is a shame because it was once again the most interesting part of the story. They were running around with axes and berries yep <laughs> i'm sorry i will not leave the berries alone probably my favorite part of the entire show i know it's a low budget movie and they can't always necessarily have like super great moments of you know someone getting their head smashed in or whatever but like i don't know it, it just it, it kept going like hey someone raises up an axe as it's coming down it just cuts to a red screen and you're like really yeah i hated that i don't love wipes i was an eighth grade video productions child at one point of my life and that was like what? the first lesson we learned was side wipes and f fade wipes and flash wipes are cheesy and you don't use them in actual movies i'm talking to you george lucas and star wars four five and six 
um, it, it, it diminishes stuff. It makes it feel juvenile and, and weak. And it, uh, uh, it's one of my biggest pet peeves when I, when it comes to movies. The Mandalorian does it on Disney Plus, and I hate it. Well, I mean, admittedly, that's just a stylistic nod to... I know, guess. but I still hate it. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but I would agree with you. There was a lot of cop-out. There could have been more gore, like the berries scene. Yeah, if they had gone something else at the end and then just used that blood and gore budget to or actually give us some fun stuff earlier on. Chop Ethan's head off or something? I don't know, something. My other, and probably my last thing that I have, is I love it when a good horror movie takes old-timey music and turns it on his head. I think one of the best movies that has done this recently has been the newest Krampus that came out a few years ago. We did a podcast about it, and we talked a lot about the music, is that they took these iconic classic Christmas songs and twisted them on their head and made them horrifying, and it was so great. And this movie tried to do the same thing with these weird kind of like gospely Thanksgiving songs, but it was not working at all. At all. Yes, absolutely. And and it part of the problem is that they for one of the, the biggest scenes, you know, kind of this like big, you know, din you know, around the dinner table scene with, you know, revealing dad and all that, the song that they were playing was, yeah, like a gospel song of Thanksgiving but it was one that was performed live, and so you hear people clapping and cheering and stuff as part of the audio track. And so you're like, I don't need to hear a, a song where, uh, like, a live song while watching a non. I don't know. It's, it, it, it was just such a weird, like, dissonant thing to watch. And it just didn't pay off in a, in a meaningful way, and it was distracting, honestly. Like, I've never heard a live track used as a soundtrack piece in a movie and it, that that that's why it's because it sucked <laughs> it, it just it didn't add to the horror it took away from it substantially to the it, point where it just uh, it was uncomfortable yeah and like it was actually like the, the music and stuff was okay for the first half of the movie but it just kept getting like a little more obnoxious and a little more obnoxious as it went on and then yeah for those final scenes it was just like so distracting that it was almost hard to pay attention to the things that were, you know, the, the the crazy action that was going on and people, you know, throwing up blood everywhere and all that kind of stuff. Because, you know, you hear, like, a gospel choir singing and people cheering while they're singing. And you're like, what is going on? If you're going to use music like that, do it the right way. So, I guess, should we give our screams and crowns and then jump into kind of talking about Thanksgiving horror in general? Yeah, um, I give it a two for screams. It didn't scare me at all two for screams as well it was not a scary movie i didn't give it a one because of the originality of the plot and because some of the acting i thought was pretty pretty creepy um yeah for crowns i gave it a three mostly just because it was a fun movie and yeah there were things that i genuinely liked about the movie but end of the day not not a good movie but again if if you are curious by listening to this episode and haven't watched it yet Watch it for the fun, not don't watch it to take it seriously. I gave it a two as crowns for crowns as well for those exact same reasons. It's fun. It would be a good party show. But other than that, it doesn't really have a ton of value to it. This whole thing kind of begs the question, is Thanksgiving a worthwhile topic for a horror? 
I think so. I think if you put it in the frame of genocide and the actual events that happened in America that brought Thanksgiving to light, I think that's how you do it. You make it kind of a period piece, like something similar to The Witch, Mm-hmm. Um, and you frame it with the like the first Thanksgiving or you know something of that regard. I think monsters are tricky to do with this because really, what would you have? Like a giant turkey mutant thing coming after you? Well, you're uh, talking about the most famous Thanksgiving horror film, Thanksgiving. <laughs> yes. Oh, so that's my opinion. I think in order to do Thanksgiving right as a horror genre, you have to base it in reality and historical fact. Yeah, I could I could definitely see that being a the way to to take it on in a way that's interesting, and you know especially if if it leans into all of the violence against the the Native American people, uh, also like all of the disease. Yeah, you know, it could be like a sort of a epidemic, you know, sort of plague kind of horror film that could be interesting. You know, a, a horror film about starvation. Yeah, and like you can even go like you know bring in some cannibalistic elements if you wanted you know kind of go like omakatsu's the hunger or something like that like those kind of ideas would be interesting and and scary and gross but yeah i think it it works better setting it in a in an appropriate time period and again like this could have been a great movie if they had just really leaned into the cult aspects and and the people and and the way that people are kind of pricking against it things like black friday shopping and all of that and i think that's you know you could have an effective horror movie set now that that plays with those ideas if if you have them just really just fully fleshed out and i think another way to do it would have have the movie be centered around some sort of intense family drama Mm -hmm. almost like a murder mystery perhaps but something akin to like midsummer where the real fear isn't about the cult it's what that the people are capable of doing kind of mm-hmm. thing you know maybe a, a family member's a serial killer and thanksgiving is the crack that breaks them or even something like the strangers i think would be beneficial where you have these home invaders that come in and ruin thanksgiving dinner and that's like their mo is they're the thanksgiving killers Hmm. Um, but it, it can't stray too far, I think, as like horror Christmas, I think you can go a lot further with just because you have a lot of fantasy with Christmas. You don't have a ton of that with the Thanksgiving holiday. It's a very black and white kind of a, a tradition. Anyway, well, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I definitely agree. Yeah, I'm just looking at what sort of Thanksgiving horror there's been and... You know, I, I reference Thanks Killing, which is it's it's described uh, on its cover as the ultimate low budget experience, a killer turkey comedy slash horror flick, <laughs> and a warning: there are boobs in the first second of the film. Oh boy! It says gobble gobble mother effer. <laughs> so you know, obviously that's just going like, hey, let's just take all of the, you know, just really leaning into, hey, let's make a bad movie. You know, there's definitely an audience for that kind of thing, but it's just not really for me at all. And then other than that, like, there, there seems to be a handful of horror movies that are set during Thanksgiving, but don't really have any, you know, that's just kind of set dressing. 
it's it it would be saying that it's a Thanksgiving film the same way that you could say that I don't know Iron Man three is a Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah, fair. It just happens to be set during Christmas time. Like that's not really worthwhile. I I know that uh, Into the Dark had another Thanksgiving one. I think it might be more that it's just set during Thanksgiving time. But I'll have to check it out. Yeah, from their their first season of of doing their kind of monthly episodes or movies. But yeah, like for the most part though, it's just yeah, Thanksgiving hasn't really been explored. And and again, like I think if you really lean into what makes Thanksgiving scary or what makes the history of it scary or, you know, things like that, then yeah, then you have room to really play around with something interesting. But we just really haven't had that yet. And uh it's just again, like it's it's a shame that this movie isn't better because it has so much potential. Anything else to say about this lovely gem? Um, no, I think we've said it all. So do you want to wow us with the occult corner? Yes! I know we haven't done kind of our traditional episode in a while, so I was very excited to kind of whip out one of my good old occult corners. For people who know me outside of this podcast, you will know that I am a very su- big supporter of the Christmas holiday. I love... I love Christmas with all my heart. It's obnoxious, honestly. <laughs> I'm sure it is, and I apologize. Um, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> um, but that goes further. I love Halloween, and I actually do love Thanksgiving. I love Christmas. I love October through the end of the year, in all reality. I love the holiday season. However, Christmas is the most special. And for anyone, I think, who's interested in horror, you definitely understand that Christmas is not inherently Christian. Um, there's a ton of pagan origins, Saturnalia, Festivus, and what I kind of wanted to talk about today, which is Yule. Um, Yule is rooted firmly in neo-paganism and also the Wiccan tradition. Um, Essentially what Yule is, is a festival celebrating the rebirth of the sun, actually. a lot of ritual and magic that you do around Yule is rebirth, um, restoration, returning to light, that type of stuff, uh, which is why you see a lot of Christmas lights and the stars. All of that light symbology is rooted in this kind of idea that, that Yule is a rebirth of light. And the Wiccan tradition primarily goes into the Green Man, um, who's also known as Sir Nunos which is the horned god. Uh, Wiccan tradition usually has a very male-esque deity, which would be the green man or the horned god, um, but they also have a much more prominent female goddess, the triple goddess. And for Sir Nunos, Yule is a big time because he's kind of a dual persona. He has the oak king, which symbolizes spring and summer and then you have the holly king who actually symbolizes autumn and winter and so yule in itself is this eternal battle between the oak king versus the holly king and the holly king reigns from the summer solstice till yule so christmas in itself is actually celebrating the death of the holly king and celebrating the resurrection of the Oak King, or the beginning of the spring and summer season. 
Which is funny because winter like literally starts like two days before Christmas. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what I thought. <laughs> and I hate winter and the snow. But I thought it would be kind of fun to give people some symbols that they can look at and see as they go about their Christmas season that are very much rooted in pagan symbology. So some Yule animal symbols you'll see will be deers, owls, reindeers, geese, stags. All of those are very pagan-centric. You know that the plural deer is deer, right? Did I say deers? Yes, and also reindeers. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm not the English major. I'm the science major, so go to hell. <laughs> well, that's why I'm here to, you know, fix your horrible faux pas. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, some of the Yule color symbols are, of course, red, white, and green. Yule foods, apple cider, cinnamon cakes, eggnog, gingerbread, mulled wine, spiced meats, roasted apples. I mean, everything that we already do for Christmas. It's I love how conflated paganism and societal holidays are. It gives me great joy inside. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, and that's not a, an accident by any means. Not at all. I, I often talk about how I'm an English teacher, but I'm also a history teacher, and it's been really interesting to look at like what was going on with like the Roman Empire and stuff like that, and, and how, especially when they embraced Christianity, when they would conquer an area, they would look at, at the traditions of the area and things like that and say, hey, what is the best way to make these people Romans? And typically the best way to do that, the ones that you know worked better than the, you know the ones that were constant issues, is when they took their folklore and traditions and their beliefs and weaved them into their you know kind of existing christian beliefs and so yeah they took the idea of okay we're going to celebrate the birth of christ but we don't really know when that is so we're going to plug that into this pagan idea of saturnalia and yule and all that and like bring all these things together that way we can have people who feel like their long-held beliefs are part of being roman as opposed to the other way around. Exactly. And whenever an empire conquers another territory, it's far easier to create an amalgamation of culture than it is to force somebody into another culture. You just see it through all of history. And religion is a huge, huge kind of example of that. A lot of traditional Christianity has so many kind of roots embedded in paganism because it, it helps people believe easier. Yeah. In, in my opinion, at least. To end out, these are some spells that are really beneficial to cast during Yule time. Any sort of spell related to happiness, hope, unconditional love, peace, strength, world healing, or world peace. Again, all of those are very Christmas-centric. And then to end it off, just some big Yule symbolism in general. Yule symbolizes hope after darkness, light that comes with the sun, rebirth of the sun, um, and then Yule logs and Yule trees. So, happy Yule, everybody. I hope you'll all have a great time. Ho, oh, <laughs> um, Did you notice that Santa laugh I did? Yeah, I did. I did. That, that didn't seem like a coincidence. <laughs> Should we do a quick staying spooky and then let everyone go spend the rest of the day with their families because it is Yule time? Yes. Okay, what are you doing to say spooky? What what um, has, what has been spooky on 
on your radar lately? I watched a really awesome movie on Shudder a few days ago. It's called Haunt. It is about an extreme haunted house. One of those ones you go to and you pay lots of money for them to touch you and do unspeakable acts to you, which I will never do. <laughs> and it, the acting was eh and the plot was really eh. But the practical effects and kind of the stuff that they did with the haunted house and there was a lot of body horror of the scarers of this kind of quote unquote extreme haunted house that I really dug. I was really impressed with kind of the, the caliber of, of how committed they were to a few of those things. I watched it to the very end and I thought it was really, really good. It's on Shudder and it's 90 minutes long. So it's kind of a quick and easy show to watch and i was very impressed i watched it the night before thanksgiving to make me grateful for great horror movies <laughs> how about you okay um so the thing i want to bring up is a book because i haven't talked about books nearly enough lately on the podcast so the book i wanted to talk about uh, was one i read last month it's called carmilla by uh, j sheridan le Fanu, or i don't really know how to pronounce uh, his name but so he is um kind of the og of vampire fiction he actually beat bram stoker to to writing about vampires by a decade or so and this is his vampire book so it's called carmilla it's really solid really tight story basically it's about a girl who i guess probably late teens early 20s and she has invited this, you know, relative stranger to stay with her and her dad for a while because of some, you know, kind of extenuating circumstances of this, this you know, relative stranger that they run into whose name is Carmilla. And Carmilla is just this beautiful, seductive woman who, well, I mean, this won't surprise anyone, is a vampire. And it's kind of watching her slowly try to either seduce or steal the blood of of the main character and it's it was tense and dark and i don't know it, it was it was a fun story i liked it a ton and i personally would recommend checking out the recent full cast version that audible did of of this particular one as one of their audible originals and that's how i uh, enjoyed it and it had like people like Rose Leslie. So had people like David Tennant in it. Oh, hey there. Yeah, you know, a fair number of people and you know, it's it's a relatively small cast but like the the act the voice acting was very good. And it was just a cool, creepy vampire story that again beat Dracula by about 10 years and and it was still a very solid, very tense, creepy fun story that that really did it for me so definitely pick it up if you uh want some some cred in the older horror fiction realm all right well next time we return we're hopefully having a few episodes with some guests which will be really awesome but we're also excited to see the new rendition of black christmas so we have a lot coming up so until then everyone stay spooky gobble gobble Need even more Scream Kings? Here's our obligatory shameless social media plug. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Scream Kings Pod. You could also email us at Scream Kings Podcast at gmail.com. 
Help us reach a wider audience of horror fans by leaving a review on iTunes or by sharing a link on social media. You can also support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash Stay spooky.